Hello there, Two Legs Faithful, and Happy New Year. It's 2023, and we're back. It is uh, the first Saturday in January, and uh, we normally don't drop a new episode on the first Saturday of every month, but we're going to do something very special uh, to kick off the year, a new series that we're going to revisit. And before we get any further ahead, that's Tom Onyadi, co-host of Talk More Talk, a solo Beatles video cast, and the Two Legs co-founder and my partner in crime. How are you, Thomas? I'm doing wonderful, Andy. How are you? I hope you had a wonderful New Year's. I hope everybody out there had a happy and safe New Year's as well. And uh, yeah, 2023. I can't believe this. I mean, we're we're a few months away from episode 200, which is 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 crazy to think of as well. So uh, yeah, it's, it is. I mean, and just before we went on before, we planned out all our shows through March. So through we March, are yes. we we are we listen. We don't stop. Somebody said, "Oh, how do you no. guys do it?" This is how we do it. We find time, we plan, and we research, and we go. So we wanted to try something new um, today uh, to give to you all, and it's nothing crazy out of the ordinary. We are going to present to you a kind of an audio archive series review. Um, some of you know that while follow our episodes, we have done kind of an interview kind of review where we find a famous interview that Paul has given and Tom and I dissect, dissect it and figure out what parts are really kind of worth talking points or where points in time where Paul was really candid and was honest. Mm -hmm. And we kind of, we've done that a few times. We're going to do that again, but because we don't drop a show, uh, a new show on the video platform, we wanted to give something special to YouTube people. And the one that we're going to post today is an interview that Paul gave to the BBC on the 14th of December, 1983. Sadly, I don't know who the interviewer was, but I do know it was for the BBC. This was, this is, and this is on YouTube. So this isn't anything we're not uncovering, you know, the Raiders of the Lost Ark here, the Ark of the Covenant. We're not, this is anything, you know, this is out there. You can find it. We just wanted to share within our two legs community in case anybody didn't know it. And the reason being Tom and I talked about, about it was there are so few times, especially when we're talking about Paul's lesser known albums, where he's actually in the moment discussing the tracks right. when they were fresh and when they were new. Yeah, you could you can hear him talk about Band on the Run and Ram and stuff like that. But but stuff like the album that we're going to talk about that we're going to play the interview today, Pipes of Peace from 1983. This is an interview right. from when the album was pretty much brand new. The album comes out in October of 83. This is an interview from the 14th of December. And it's about 57 minutes long. And it has the music included. And it's Paul speaking really kind of frankly and openly and honestly about songs like The Other Me and Average Person and Keep Undercover and The Man. Right. Uh, which is and those tracks are like fresh in his head still, you know, so it gives good insight for all these songs. It gives great insight because, you know, we can read the Luca Parazzi's and we can read all the books we want, but if we can hear, you know, from the man himself, pun intended, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's really refreshing. And I just, I actually just stumbled upon this interview a few months back and I sent it to Tom mm. um, for his review because uh, that's actually going to be about another episode we're going to be doing in the, you know, in the future about a mystery single, which was right. on this album, which you can probably figure out which one it was, but that's going to be something else we're doing. It's kind of how I stumbled upon this thing. So every, the first Saturday of every month, we're going to present another audio interview and kind of intro it and just drop it on our YouTube channel. And because it's, it's, it's unique, our, our audio list subscribers get something else usually from our other shows that we drop to them, right. but this is something just for YouTube. So uh, without any further ado, 
We'll cut to the interview with Paul. And if anybody knows the name of the chap that interviewed him, please let us know in the comments because he does a really good job asking him the questions. And they were fresh, as Tom said, they were fresh and they were new, which is why the perspective like that is so um, important to look at when you're looking at McCartney's history. Um, because things like this are like nuggets because you don't see them that often in his timeline right. where you can actually get him in the moment talking about it you know even though even when pipes and peace came out in the archive collection in 2015 it was a little light in terms of the songs like him talking about the songs do you remember right you yeah know? yeah yeah well the egypt station he did uh you know like like little snippets of the songs you know just you know talking about the songs and stuff like that but it's this like this is the you know like you said the timeline the freshness of 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 the interview and and this point in time period in period in 83 he was more candid than he is now you know he he'll he'll he, he, you know, he wasn't afraid to let little, you know, things slip here and there that maybe he, maybe he shouldn't have slipped. But then again, you know, this is the kind of stuff that us as fans, this is the minutia that we really we want. We're going here. towards, and it's what's even yeah. scary is that pipes of peace is forty years, going to be forty years old this year. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's scary. That, that's a scary thought right there. Um, those of you that know us, I, it's an album I feel very strongly about. I, I think it's probably one of his. It's one of my favorite ones of his. I know that there's some tracks that people are like, ah, oh, get out of here. But I, I really, really think Pipes of Peace is incredibly overrated. I'm, I'm sorry, underrated. See, so mm -hmm. I'm reading all the books all the time. I think it's incredibly <laughs> underrated. I do. I, I enjoy Average Person. I, 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 I enjoy those songs. Um, Tom, what's your quick take on Pipes of Peace? Middle of the road, right? When we ranked it, you were. You I mean, yeah, I put it towards the end of the barrel, bottom of the barrel for me. Uh, listen. I'm not saying I, that I hate it. I don't hate it. It's just that over the years, um, and and the, the the stuff that we've the quality of stuff that we've gotten since you know '97, you know, I just it, it's just I think it's just so much better. Uh, and, and it than, is, but than, I kind of look at these things. I, I try not to compare this, even though we've ranked them. We've ranked everything. I try to kind of right. keep things with the time period. So like mm -hmm. for like that 80s period, I think it's one of his best albums in the 80s. I'm not going to rank okay. it. I'm not going to rank it ahead of Egypt Station or, or Flaming Pie because clearly those albums are better than Pipes of Peace. They, they mm -hmm. just are. But if I'm looking at it in the 1980s kind of time frame, I think it's right. easily one of his best albums of the 1980s. Oh sure, okay. I mean, my opinion. I, I don't know. Okay, yeah, that's and that's fine. And you're you're obviously you're uh, you know, you're do it. I mean, you can you you know. I, I that's one of the things I love about you too, as a man. You don't you don't shy away from your opinions. I mean, it, you know, obviously, I don't think a lot of people are going to agree with you about it. But 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 you know what? I have read, I have seen people on Facebook, you know, talk very glowingly of of pipes of peace. It's has it, it does have its fans. Absolutely. Sure. Well, there's an article that I was looking at when I was researching this uh, guy that interviewed him for the uh, archive in 2015. The guy who interviewed him told him, like, Pipes of Peace is my favorite album of all time of his. And he says that to him in the interview. It's like the guy coming up to pulling up to Paul in the 70s, you know, or with the little Volkswagen no, bus, and, and, and you know, little, waving the wildlife. wildlife. It's the best thing. Yeah. Hey, man, I'm going, up, done. I'm going up in the mountains and I'm taking this thing with me, man. It's the best thing you've ever made. Yeah. 
<laughs> so I think that uh, if you haven't heard this interview, and I want to give credit to the uh, original uploader. The original uploader is a guy by the name of uh, Winkler Films. So he, this is something that he found, obviously. So maybe he had it. So credit to him as well, because it was his post originally. And, uh, you know, without any further ado, we're going to give you the, uh, the BBC interview from December of 83, where Paul chews the fat on Pipes of Peace and the tracks surrounding it. We hope you enjoy this. We're going to do something new every the first Saturday of every month. We'll pull some another interview from another period in time and post it. And uh, until then, we'll we'll have we'll be going to be recording our shows and we'll have new shows for you uh, a week from today. So yeah, rock on, right. rock on, everybody. You are a success. You are a star. So why the amount of energy that you put into it? Mm. I actually enjoy it, you know. If I didn't have to do it, I think I'd try and do it as a hobby. Just because I really do like doing it. Um, it actually seems strange to me why anyone would think I wouldn't like doing it. Yeah, but you also involve yourself with all the peripheral activities, like people like me coming down, doing television programs, mm. doing what they call promotion, mm. which is hard work, gets away from the real business, which is music, mm. and yet you're prepared to do it. Well, I could have you chucked out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mind it really. I mean, it's like, I, I suppose you, you know, you get you get to like the whole flavour of the whole thing. And I never really hated doing interviews too much. And I suppose, you know, you, if you're in the, uh, the thing of sort of trying to flog vinyl, to put it bluntly or crudely, you know, which is sort of what the whole thing's uh, roughly about. Let me ask you about flogging vinyl. Does that that isn't money? That can't be money. It's it's hit, no. isn't it? Pardon? It's the word hit, isn't it? Um, I don't know what it is actually. I just do like to do it. If I didn't do it, I'd I'd have to think of something else to do. It's what I do, you know. It's I suppose it's like you. You wake up in the morning. You think, what am I going to do today? Oh, I'll go down and be a DJ for the BBC, and then I'll go and open a fair or two, and you know, you do what you do, and. Um, if it was possible for you tomorrow not to do it, I'm not sure whether you'd change. Everyone thinks, you know, I think when you win the pools, well, I'll wait till I give, tell the boss what to do, you know. But I don't have those kind of problems. So I, I do like it, actually. I just like doing it. I think it's more magic than shifting vinyl. Uh, that's, you know, that's not really how I see it. But uh, something about it I like. Let's talk about the album. Take yeah. us through track by track. Um, say, Say, Say is the second track on side one. And that started out when Michael Jackson gave me a ring on the telephone. And he said he'd like to make some hits. So I thought, well, that sounds keen. You know, he sounds positive. And I'd never met him, but I'd, I loved his singing and his dancing. And I'd seen him on telly and stuff. So uh, I was keen to meet him anyway. So he came over to England. He was coming over. So I uh, said, let's get together and that. We sat around for an afternoon, and I was plonking a guitar. And um, we came up with the basis of Say, Say, Say. He went back to his hotel and wrote a lot of words for it. And then we sort of thrashed the whole thing together. And um, that's, the, that's how we done that one. But it just does interest so, me how you make contact. You, you sit down with Michael Jackson, you've never yeah. met the guy before. Uh -huh. And what actually happens? What's the process? Well, I mean, it, to me, it's like anyone with anyone. I just start talking to him and saying, um, you know, just asking him about his life, telling him about mine. Um, sit down and sort of just, I don't know, you just add a little bit, you know, just start talking about stuff. Um, 
I can't think of any specific thing you do. You know, you don't... Right, sit down there, Michael. Now we're going to communicate. <laughs> Look at this now, son. You know, it's not going to... I just get out a guitar and we just sit around. You know, I think we know we're both not going to really say much. But it's not so much about talking, actually. It's about letting ideas come to you. I mean, he's one of the most laid-back, rela most relaxed people you'll ever meet. But the thing is, un interviews do make him uncomfortable. Mm. You know, I sort of said to him, um, why don't you do interviews, mate? He said, I, I don't feel comfortable. How do you, how's that for a Michael Jackson impression? Very good. <laughs> no, but he, he's... Um, and I, I can go for that. I mean, I know exactly what he means. I've done it all these years. And you do them. They're not that bad to do. But he's very shy of doing them. And I know what he's talking about. I mean, I'm just, maybe I don't I know, I'd bluff it out a bit more. So, all right, well, let's do it, you know, go and do it. And I don't really find them that bad. It's funny, actually, when we were doing the video for Say, 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 um, we were in California, and a lot of school kids came around, and Michael's fella said, do you mind meeting all these school kids? And Michael had liked and all that. And I said, no, I don't mind. I'm happy to, you know, because it's just a bunch of kids. So uh, I'm, I'm walking out there, and we're going down the line. You feel like the president or somebody <laughs> will vote for me, and not him. <laughs> you know, and we're both of us going down this line, and everyone's saying, well, I'm so pleased to meet you and all this stuff. And halfway through it, in the London uh, vernacular, Michael bottles out. He says, oh, I really can't do this. You know, I really hate this. I mean, he says, it's all right. You know, anyway, I don't want to kind of go gossiping about him too much, but it is... He finds that kind of thing a bit difficult, so I think he gets a reputation of being tense in those kind of situations. Having met you once, mm. I said, looked at the video and said, oh, well, that's McCartney, of course. McCartney all over there. Nah. Am I wrong or right? You're wrong, Si. <laughs> Your bum's out the window, <laughs> in fact. <laughs> no, it was Bob Giraldi's as the director. Mm. He came over, and it, that was the way he saw Michael and I. And I thought it was a good way to get round the age gap. The yeah. age gap? Yeah, well, I'm twice his age, aren't I, nearly? I mean, he's, he's like 23. But that Michael. never occurred to anybody, I don't think. No, because it was done well. Right. If it hadn't have been done well, it might have. And, uh, you know, I think that was one of the good things about it, that I was a kind of elder brother figure, which is how I feel to him anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, I treat him a bit like that, and we have a laugh and stuff. But uh, it's not deadly serious. We, we actually have a great time together. A lot of care and attention put into that, and presumably a lot of time as well. It was three very big, hectic days, mm -hmm. yeah. But uh, it was one of those, you know, up early and then just work all day, ridiculously. But working with Mike, he's uh, so talented that when we have to do a thing, you don't have to think about his bit. And he's doing it, and it's all good. And you've got to work to keep up with him, you know. <laughs> so uh, it was great, actually. It was a crazy time. Um, but after the three days, you know, I needed a good kip. But uh, that was it. Let's talk about the rest of the album. The Other Me is a track, I, you know, I, I say stuff that, uh, obviously, that that I think, you know, uh, stuff stuff that isn't just completely made up from the imagination, uh, will generally be something that's been running through my mind, and one of the themes that I sometimes think about is um, the other me that, that can be uh, a bit better than I normally am. You In know, what way? How, I don't know, how you'd wish you'd be. I mean, if you have an argument and you sit after it and you sort of think, oh, I wish I hadn't done that, I don't like these. And then, so that would have been the other me that wouldn't have argued. 
And uh, that kind of idea, you know, that, that inside all of us there is someone quite groovy. And you meet him maybe when you're drunk, and you meet him a few times, you know, but he generally doesn't come out. Well, the fantasist. You know, the other you. Since we've talked to you about Broad Street, we know the pattern of it. How's it going? It's going great, actually. It's, uh, most of the photography's been done, um, and George Martin and myself are now working on the music. <clears throat> and we've got it down now to the... We've we've done the songs in it. There are, um, I think it's 12 songs. It, it grows all the time, this All one. original songs, all McCartney songs? No, they're a mixture. Some of them, it's a kind of equal balance. Some of them are old songs I'm known for. Some of them are new songs. Some of them are uh, not old, but kind of... Of, of the recent past couple of years uh, so it's a really a mixture that was basically chosen for the film to kind of support what was being said in the film you know we knew we were going to go to a big film studio in the, in the plot so we wanted something that uh, we could do a big filmy thing with so we chose a song like ballroom dancing off took a walk, that we could all dress up as Ted's and we could all really get into, you know, we could do a big production thing. So, so they're chosen for reasons like that. So it ended up as a bit of a mixture um, of my stuff. And then <clears throat> at the point we're at at the moment, we're doing the incidental music. So when you see a car travelling from there to there, mm. they nearly always have a diddle or something. And that's very interesting to do because we're just making that up to picture, something I've never done before. Um, so it's great, it's good fun doing it, and uh, it should be finished pretty soon. For the cinemas in this country? Yeah, for the cinema. Uh, Tracy Ullman was talking about it, and she mm. said she didn't understand a word of it, but as far as she could gather, it was one long chase with a lot of fun inside. Well, what happened was, uh, the producer, bless his little cotton socks, decided in his great wisdom that he wouldn't give people scripts, <laughs> and that he just would give them their little bit, and, you know, and Tracy's thing can be, you could, you can take it, and it still makes sense outside the, the thing. So a lot of the people in the film still don't know what the film's about. You know, they know what their bit's about, <laughs> but they, they weren't there for all the rest of the filming. So they're all wandering around saying, well, I know what this is about. Oh, I get, I see that, you know. And uh, it's... It's being glued together now at the moment, and it start. You know, it makes sense the more you see of it. Um, I say Tracy hasn't actually seen most of it. She's going to be surprised. Her release Wimple. I think summer '84. Mm -hmm. If we're all still here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's get back to the album. Keep undercover. Um, Keep undercover was the first track we did when we were doing tug of war sessions. And it was going to go on that album, but it didn't fit. Uh, and it wasn't finished at the time. It didn't fit? It didn't fit in with the mood of the album. It seemed lighter, which fits more in with this mood, which is uh, more uh, poppier, I think. The criticism in the States has almost invariably been exactly that. It's pop, not mm. what we expect. Mm. Well, of course, you know, really, it's Blues Delta, but what do they know? It just struck me. I, I, I looked at the Rolling Stone review, which I thought was the most absurd thing I've ever read in my life. Oh. I don't know. You know, you can't, you can't uh, expect good reviews anymore. There was a time when you could sort of bring something out and someone would say, uh, this is quite good, I'm not that keen on this, I think you should do this, but, uh, you know, there's something good about it. Um... But I suppose nowadays, the people like the Stones and people who are established like that, the first thing that journalists almost got to say 
is, well, it, let's get this straight, it's rubbish. And they're old men and it's old hat. But I detect uh, a bit of a change of mood, actually. Because uh, over the years, one of the things I thought that was crazy about this thing... I mean, I think the newspapers were nice for a while. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> it was a long time ago. And then they got really sour. And they were kind of against everything, against the Rod Stewart and me and people who were sort of established. And I think in some cases, I think obviously, like, it was quite right. There were a lot of cobwebs needed uh, wiping away. I think so. After the 60s, there had been a lot of kind of, you know, cobwebs, I think. So I think some of it was good. Um, a lot of it had to be shocking uh, and had to really be something other than what had gone down. So peace and love did go out the window and it was like war and hate kind of or you know you knife yourself for a laugh time and um which i don't think a lot of people could get with but it needed to happen and i think during that period the uh the musical press a lot of them uh thought they were that too and decided to be real heavy man and and you know some of them i actually knew weren't heavy at all they were funny little journalists i mean you know okay so maybe you know something and stuff but he didn't know that much, and in this particular case, I thought that uh, what was happening was they were slagging off the people, and all the people, as you say, it would hurt them. So it was only repressing them. It was just like teachers sla slapping you and, and repression. That's really what, what it was to some degree, I think. Mm. And I think you found a lot of the older guys who were quite willing to kind of keep going and love their music, because they did love it. They getting slagged off so much, it was like, oh, God, who, who wants this? And I know a lot of people were turned off Thing. But I think that what's happened is that a lot of public were turned off with that attitude, too. I, I've found in the last few years, a lot of people say, yes. I don't read the musicals anymore. That's just right. don't do it, man. You know, just don't, I don't, I've given them up. And I think you're finding now with some of the other publications that are coming in, where it's like a decent picture of your star hero and something vaguely nice about him yes. and some facts and figures and the words of his song, which is really what fans, I think, sort of want. I don't think they want to hear. I think those, what's happening is the sales are coming back for those. So these slaggers often realize they're talking themselves out of a job, yeah. which isn't too clever, whichever way they look at it. I wrote uh, what seemed to me just a kind of little tune that was very, very simple. And sometimes when you get tunes like that, you, you worry about it. You think it's just too simple. It must be another song. Or... Um, Maybe it's, it's just too simple to just sit there. But uh, with So Bad, I liked it, you know, and uh, I, mean, I don't want to go on just saying how I like all my own stuff and that, but uh, this particular tune, you know, is, it struck me as being a nice, simple tune. And um, main memory for me on it is the reason why it says, Boy, I Love You So Bad, is that I used to sing Girl, I Love You So Bad, and uh, what happened was my son, who's six, was feeling a bit left out, you know, and I could sort of see this, so I had to work in... Boy, I love you so bad, too. Let me ask you just about your family, because you've got the situation now where your kids are alive and kicking in every single way. How do they regard Dad, and how do they relate Dad in terms of their friends, because there must be all, all that problem? I think um, I'm always very aware of that, because I know what it was like at school, you know, and even if anyone's dad was a policeman, you know, they got kicked about. And, but um, my kids, they seem to kind of like to support me. Now, you know, I don't know how much of that's real, whatever, but I'll believe as much of it as I 
you know, as, as they'll let me believe. Um, <laughs> I was just thinking you were on Noel Edmonds the other week. Yeah. I mean, do they sit and watch you and say, oh, God, why did you say no, that? No, they're not. That's what I mean. It, strangely enough, you know, they, they don't. They say, that was great, Dad, and Mum looked great, and it was always good and all that. They're very supportive, actually. That's great. Yeah, Let's I mean, get back to side two again. Okay, side two. The song The Man was um, after Michael Jackson and myself had written Say, Say, Say. Um, Michael wanted to keep going, and I had a bit of an idea for an introduction, which is the introduction of The Man. Um, and I was playing it to him, you know, on the piano, and sort of saying, look, how's about this, guys and gals, for the start of a little idea? So I'm going, um, played the intro, to little, 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 and I got to the little bit of the start of the words, and I said, and it could go something like, there's a man, you know, and I kind of just started blocking it out, just the rough idea of it all, the chords and that. And uh, the, the way we worked was we had a cassette going. And then after that little session, he took it back to his hotel. Him, um, did you look at the words and possibly slightly resent the idea of somebody else doing, taking the idea and then adapting it? No, I, I liked the words, you know, I liked uh, what he'd done and stuff, it seemed to fit. Um, I, I'm not really fussy, you know, I do so much, and I've had so many hits, that I'm not really jealous of anyone else having them. Uh, I'm not, you know, because I've I've done very well, you know, so I can't afford to just sort of sit back and not be too jealous when someone comes up with something uh, that's good. I just wondered how, how the hell you stand back and judge something when you're so involved with it. That's one of the most difficult things, I think, about doing anything, is, is standing back and seeing how it is. I suppose if you do a painting, you can do a thing and think, wow, that's it, it's incredible, you know. Or, you know, it happens in millions of ways. Then the next morning you can look at it and the, draw the curtains and it, the daylight comes in on it. And, oh, God, and it's horrible. You know, and I was a bit, I had a few too many and it looked great last night or whatever, you know. Do you ever get that happen to you? And, uh, oh, yeah. I mean, not paintings, because I don't really do much painting but uh yeah you know i can we can do a track and i can really think it's good and then listen to it the next day and think mm, well you know we should do that again should fix that you see i can imagine he said i'm putting myself in your position which is always a dangerous thing to do if i went out on a limb and i said that's terrific on wednesday night and i came in on thursday morning i might find it hard to admit that i was wrong in fact i do mm. every day find it <laughs> <up>. <laughs> yeah um, well, you know, that's another way to go. I, I, I think that's all right, too. You know, if you want to bluff it out. That's okay. <laughs> By me, Si. No, I do that, too, you know. Sometimes you just can't admit it's no good, and you bluff your way through it, you know. But it's a strange mixture, isn't it, life? You know, you just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you all about it. So, have you got a couple of hours? <laughs> now, you know. I mean, I, I, I do find myself getting a bit comical when you start saying things like that but when you are 40 41 as i am I, I you do start kind of thinking well you know it is strange about life at 20 you just say well that's funny so lovely you don't really think it about but by the time you're about 40 you know you are really thinking cool it's a pretty amazing affair isn't it you know with what with all the stuff we get up to is it good or bad it's all right in fact it's amazing <laughs> Quite amazing. It just depends what mood you're in, doesn't it? Uh, I think. Um, Sweetest Little Show in Town was originally uh, one-third of a medley thing. We strung three little pieces together. It's something I've uh, done for a while now. You know, if you've got... Some songs won't go beyond the first verse. They just 
it's not easy to develop them. You get you get an idea, and you say it all in the first verse, and then sometimes you look you look for a little extension in the second verse, and it's just not there. You sort of feel well, I've said everything about that song just in that first verse, and now you can get on to how her brother feels about it or something, or you know, and you look for things, but it doesn't come easily. So you find yourself stuck with just what was going to be a song, but a stopped short, you know, and it's just it's like. A little painting instead of a big one and what I found myself doing over the years with things like that is seeing if any of them will join together to make a sort of longer piece and this was going to go with two others but we didn't like the two others in the end it didn't join up right there was a great quote from Ringo Starr about five weeks ago that I saw in the States which I don't think was apocryphal I think it's true and he, he was asked not specifically about Pete Brown's book, book, but about all the books that exhume the Beatles and all the rest of it. And he was asked if he would do an autobiography. And in, the quote was, no, it's my life, I know what happened, I don't give a damn what anybody else says. Mm. Which I thought was a great quote. Mm. I just wondered if you'd agree with that. And how you view all those exploitation books? Um, yeah, well, I, I feel about the same as he does, and I know uh, George does. I mean, we... And I know John did. You know, we you generally, you know that when you get uh, to a certain level of fame, people are going to just bring out books no matter what, you know, and you get Bridget Bardot saying, I want to go to Saint Tropez, and they're still there snapping her. Or you get Crazy Garber saying, I want to be alone. It's, uh, it seems to be unavoidable, really. And uh, so, to tell you the truth, I don't read them most of the time. Peter Brown's one was a betrayal because... He came to our houses and he said, it's going to be a lovely book and I'm really going to do a smashing thing here. And he had some fellow with him who was actually writing it, um, ghosting. Show everyone what he'd written and that we'd all say, well, that's okay, or that's a bit strong or whatever. And he basically just went for it in a big way, as they say. He just got back to the States and just decided to just publish it. He never showed us a... And in the end, he sent me a copy of it saying, I hope you like it, you know, isn't it lovely and all that. Uh, I'm afraid I had a little burning ceremony with that particular number. But uh, that's it, you know, what can you do? You know, some people are genuine friends, some people aren't. But do they hurt you? Because, I, I mean, I find them pretty distasteful, it but hurts. they don't concern me directly. It leaves my left toe throbbing. The makers will leave it at that. Through our love. <laughs> Through our love is a love song. Um, is it to anybody? It's, uh, well, to me, it, it's to Linda, who's my missus. For, for anybody else listening to it, it's hopefully it's for their uh, friend, whoever it be. Um, in my mind, it's it's good one for, like, newly marrieds. If you're going to get behind marriage and not just sort of think, oops, we got married, what do we do now? You're going to get behind it. You took, actually, vows, and you can either... We giggle through ours, but afterwards... You know, because it's also funny standing up there saying it all dead serious now, and Linda was hooting away. But <laughs> um, but afterwards, you realise you have stood up in front of someone and you've said, yes, I will, and I'll promise to be okay to her, and, you know, in sickness and in health. And I think there can be a great feeling, uh, if you're lucky, uh, with newlyweds, where you do start thinking, hey, you know, this is different, and we can do stuff we couldn't do, and we're now... I heard someone talking about yesterday two halves of a two people are really only a half each and when they sort of come together in something like love or a, a good relationship like that, that they really become... Oh, yeah, and I do. I think that that is great, you know, when you have those sort of periods when 
hopefulness is at its height. I think that's good for you. I think it feels great. It's optimistic. You can get on with things without just worrying all the time. Um, it'd be nice to think it could last longer than it lasts, but um, then you get whatever you get. You know, it's suddenly, um, you know, Maxwell Silver Hammer or something for our older viewers. Um, you know, some somehow something will go wrong, something will happen, because that's what I mean, that's, that's life. Are you um, an up-and-down person? Yeah. Uh, Good I've never met anyone... Yeah, I've never actually met anyone who isn't. I've met some people who are a little more, um, uh, consistent than I am. Um, but, you know, in this, in this thing, through our love, uh, the thing for me is like the optimism, so that even if you're up or down, um, I like optimistic statements myself. Is it because you use them to, to show yourself? Yeah, no, I need, I feel that this is, um, uh, a kind of, uh, it, life is something that no one knows about, even Monty Python. Right. Nobody's got it down. The, the Pope, from the Pope to the lowliest vicar in the thing. They you might think they got stuff down, but I've discovered nobody's got it down. I've met prime ministers, presidents, the whole bit, you know, and they're all very just like us. So, um, I generally, I think it's agreed, you know, that for most people it's up and down. You know, you get, you've got a job, you lose your job. Something's great, you win the pools or whatever you win that's good, and then something bad happens. And I think that that is why you need some kind of faith, even if it is only It'll work out. I mean, with the Beatles, our thing used to be, our faith used to be something will happen. Whatever happened, you know, we'd be broken down on the van up the M1, you know, and the, the windscreen had kicked in, so someone hit a pebble or something, we'd be crawling along trying to see the curb, you know. And you still, you still got it. Ringo saying, left a bit, and I'm pulling left. He's saying, no, no. And he, he, he's got his hands mixed up. <laughs> all of that, you know, all the craziness going down. And we say, God, you know, what's going to happen, you know? And someone is going to say, something will happen. And that, to me, that's why I like optimistic statements. Just as someone goes, ding, they go, oh, and for a second it's okay again. And it just gives you the strength. Because you used Ringo. Used is a horrible, you know a horrible yeah. word, used is. Yeah. You used Played Ringo. With. You, exactly. With. Eric Stewart, Andy Mackay, yeah. all hand-picked people. Yeah. When they come in, do they... It's difficult. You're talking to a non-musician. Do they contribute in a real sense, or do you tell them what to do and then they add bits? It's a bit of both, really. Uh, if people just contribute, um, they can sometimes say, well, you know, what do you want me to do? It's your record, it's your song. So I find a bit of both is the one. Um, never saying to anyone, this is what you do, and don't you dare go to the left or right of that. That gets them. You know, nobody likes that. But, but by the same argument, I say sometimes, if you don't tell people anything, I've had it where people have told me off for telling them too much, and then I've backed off completely. I said, okay, well, you work it out. For about half an hour, they say, well, come on, produce us, you know. What do you want? Do you want me to do that or that? What do you do then? You say, I think it'd be good if you did that. And if that, you know. You surround yourself by familiar, by people who are familiar to you. Hmm. Uh, and people who are first-rate at what they do, is that because you need their musical ability or because you feel more secure with them, with familiar names like Ringo? Well, actually, there's only a few familiar names. Michael Jackson I'd never recorded with ever before. Ringo, of course, I had a lot. Steve, I had never, Steve Gadd I'd never recorded with till uh, Took of War album. Mm. Eric I'd never worked with before, except the last couple of years. 
Um, but, but before that, I'd never worked with him. Andy, uh, I've worked with a bit. Stanley hadn't done before. So, uh, in actual fact, I don't know a lot of these people. And uh, some of the times, that's that's worse. I mean, I wish I, I had sort of just got people around me who just was a security blanket, you know, because they've got to meet me, I've got to meet them, and we've got to then do music together. So what's the criteria? Have you asked? Uh, that was good stupid music. question number no, three. No, 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 it wasn't stupid question, no, because I do understand what you mean about... Um, it is cosy, and I, in a way, I do like an easy life, you know, so it is very good to have Ringo around drumming, because I know him, and he knows me, and George Martin. It's, it's good to have your security blankets, no, no bones about that, miss. You know, because uh, why not? Perhaps a piece. Tell me about it. Perhaps a piece. I was actually, uh, I got a letter off George Melly, an old friend. Right. All right. And um, he said that some society that was uh, looked after kids wasn't the Pestalozzi people who are the choir of children that sing on it, but it's uh, some society kind of, you know, united children's of the world job. Um, wanted, we're interested in uh, getting a song that would sort of say, point up the plight of kids, you know, a, a charity song, really. And um, so I plonked away for a bit and, and got a, a bit of the song, which is, I'd call the verse, this... Uh, first bit in answer to George's request um, then it sort of changed a little bit and became Pipes of Peace which I thought well you know that's still doing what he wanted really you know which was like anything really to uh, say to people I feel this way about all those poor kids in Beirut or wherever it is at, at any given time I feel that it is good to help rather than turn you back and so therefore i mean you find i suppose you, i don't know if you do but i find a lot of people these days worried about how it's all going to work out or even if it's going to get beyond next year you know so really for me it's just if i've got some kind of opportunity to say let's look after the kids you know and let's be uh, let's, uh, in 60s terminology, let's vibe it and let's, let's, you know, let's do it right. Instead of just really get it wrong and blow ourselves up, I find myself doing that, you know. Um, I don't really want to preach, but I just want to say that I think that kind of thing is a good idea. I think most people do support it, strangely enough. First of all, people will accuse you of preaching. Mm. And secondly, that people particularly in this country, oddly enough, will mm. be embarrassed by an honest statement like that. Mm. Does it worry you that they will say either of those two things? Well, I don't know. You know, I don't really know if they will. Uh, you know, we're, only, we're guessing. Oh, there's bound to be one out there. Um, no, what happens is you have to not let it worry you. In truth, you know, you're just a person, and anyone who slags off anything, um, you don't say, wow, isn't it great? Look at this. Here, love, look at this. He really hates me. Isn't this great? <laughs> you know, I don't think there's anyone like that. So you, you never really like it. Um, I'm a bit aware these days that I can be, you know, to some people, embarrassing. I suppose really my answer to them would be, well, just don't buy it. Don't listen to it. Turn it off whenever you hear it. Simple as that, really. Uh, anybody else who likes it, I'm not going to stop it just because they don't like it. Because there's plenty of people who do like it. And I actually enjoy doing it. So rock on, Tommy.